Hey there, everyone. It's your co-host, Toby, here. Welcome to The Yellow Pill and welcome to our off-season bonus edition. If this is your first time listening ever, we have just wrapped up our sixth season and are now taking a break to prepare for our seventh. Even though we're on a break, we definitely cannot keep you all hanging. And so this episode is part of our off-season bonus episodes where we provide our opinions, comments and thoughts on trending issues at home and abroad, as well as sharing unorthodox but creative dialogues or monologues that we think you might enjoy. These off-season episodes tend to be shorter, raw and unfiltered. So we hope you enjoy them. All right, that's it from me. Enjoy your listen. On this episode, I sat down with another old friend, Ore, to review a book that we had read right around last year, I think. Uh, she was the one that recommended it to me, and it's called The Defining Decade, Why Your Twenties Matter, and How to Make the Most of Them Now by Meg Jay. Um, so I'm just going to read the quick synopsis of the book on Goodreads, just for you to get a sense of what the book is about. So, our quote-unquote 30s and new 20 culture tells us that the 20-something years don't matter some say they are an extended adolescence others call them an emerging adulthood but 30 is not the new 20 Um, and in this enlightening book uh, dr meg j reveals how many 20-somethings have been caught in a swirl of hype and misinformation that has trivialized what are actually the most defining years of adulthood drawing from more than 10 years of work with hundreds of 20-something clients and students dr j weaves the science of 20-something years with compelling behind closed door stories from 20-somethings themselves she shares what psychologists sociologists neurologists reproductive specialists human resource executives and economists know about the unique power of our 20s and how they can change our lives the result is a provocative and sometimes poignant read that shows us why our 20s do matter our 20s are a time when the things we do and the things we don't do will have an enormous effect across years and even generations to come right so that was like a quick you know synopsis of the book itself but or and i focused on three major themes um that we sort of like remember from the book that we read which is this idea of identity capital weak ties and making difficult decisions we hope you enjoy this bye today i have like an amazing 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 like calling you a friend is it feels like a disservice to to the, <laughs> to the relationship that we have uh but i've known or for I don't know, since I, as long as I can remember, so we went to the same primary school, like many, many years ago. And then I think, obviously, we're in different, like, sets. And so, you know, you graduated earlier than I did. And I don't think we're ever in touch until one random day on Facebook. I remember you sent Mm. me a message. I don't know Mm. if I responded immediately, but I know once I responded, it then became like a back and forth, you know, conversation that has really grown into like a relationship that I really cherish. Um, And we've had very, very interesting and very impactful conversations that I deeply, deeply appreciate. And funny enough, this, this book that we're about to talk about, was a book that you recommended um, that, that I should read. Um, This was a book that you recommended that, that I read. And I remember it was, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic, was it? I almost think it was. I'd have to look back in our in our history to see to see like a uh, messages history. But yeah. Yeah. So I think we're talking about transitions and and sort of like, you know, this idea of the twenties. I definitely was around that point. I maybe it was right around when we started the podcast and you mentioned the book. Um, and so for anyone who doesn't know, we used to be called twenties convos before. So, um, (laughs) and yeah, I I know I read the book or I started to read it and then I was just really blown away by, by, by it initially. And one of the first things that stood out for me, which is where we can start from is I think the idea of, I think it was identity, identity capital it was called, 
or yes, 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 yes. yes. I think that was actually the concept that we that our conversation was about. That you then remembered you read the book and then you suggested it. So this oh. idea of you know you're in different spaces, but you know when you're when you're a young adult growing up, besides trying to earn money and things like that, what you should be focused on building is also this idea of identity capital. And I remember in the book, there was this reference from someone who was working at a coffee shop initially and didn't necessarily want to take an internship at some film studio thing because they wanted to go into filmmaking and stuff. But mm. the, the only positions they were getting early on was like just random assistants, grab coffee within you know, a production or a studio. And I know when we hear that as, you know, people growing up, we don't want internships where we're not actually working. Um, but this sort of like, this story just give it a twist that, you know, compared to say maybe she was working, working her working in a more senior position at a coffee shop. The problem mm. is the coffee shop had no connection to what it is that she wanted to do. So the likelihood mm-hmm. of meeting someone that could, you know, kind of like put her to the next level at a coffee shop was very low, even if she was earning more at the coffee shop. So before I, I I'm sure you have a better way to describe all of that, but you know, what is your thought about, you know, this fact of identity capital, basically? For me, identity capital is what makes you interesting. Mm. Like what makes you the cool colleague I, I get to sit next to at work? What makes you the person who like opens your mind to something else that um, other people hadn't thought about before? And it, for ident- identity capital is basically things and experiences that you have. And some of them come from conventional things like um, going to um, school, um, the university you went to, or sometimes maybe even not going the traditional route as well and going through a different route, but then finding your way um, through different experiences. So um, identity capital is more about like just being able to make, make, Choose, choose things that make you more of an interesting person, that give you a wide variety of experiences such that when you come to the table, um, you're bringing more than just your tradition, more than just the conventional. You know, you're bringing more things and it makes you more interesting. Also, it then means that you can link you up to opportunities that you may not necessarily have thought of. The more you open yourself up to, mm. um, to conversations and to experiences that are out of the norm, mm. you know, mm. um, and then you never know, it could actually end up taking you to a place where you actually want to go, but not the conventional way. Absolutely. And funny enough, you know, that's, I have so many like stories personally of how mm-hmm. that has happened for me. And I didn't exactly know this idea of, or understand the, the concept of identity capital, but looking back at my life, you know, there's a lot of things and spaces that I've landed in that has just been because of random things or seemingly random things that I got involved with. that just exposed mm-hmm. my network beyond normal. So maybe let's, um, Maybe you go first, like maybe a personal story of, of this whole idea of identity capital and maybe un- unconventional ways of, of progressing through life based on these connections that you make. Um, a quick story from you, then maybe I'll just add mine as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing yours. I can, I can <laughs> think of a few, a few for me. So um, I, got, I got very interested in languages very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and what got me into this, I don't, I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast before, but I actually had a crush on a guy who was Spanish speaking. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go learn Spanish, <laughs> you know, but then little did I know that that was actually going to end up opening up further doors for me such that um, it kind of sparked this thing of language. Learning. And like, I got put in the higher class because they didn't have any space in the lower class. Hmm. But then before I knew it, I started topping that class and the next year came and I thought about dropping it, but I was like, I'm doing so well. Like, why would I, dro- <laughs> why would I drop it? But then that then led on to different things. I carried on doing languages, so both French and Spanish until a level and i think maybe one or two years at uni but then just having having that meant that i could 
it opened me up to more opportunities. Anytime I met somebody who was Spanish speaking or French speaking, I could connect with them in a different way mm. than maybe someone who was English speaking could. Mm. I think that continually opened me up to, I guess, seeking out new experiences such that later on, I then decided to learn Portuguese <laughs> with, with, knowing, with knowing Spanish and French. Portuguese wasn't as hard to pick up, mm. you know? And then again, just that being able to connect with people in different ways. Um, and then also, I think it just, it fueled my thing for wanting to travel. Yeah. I think that's one thing, one thing I can definitely um, think about. And then also actually, um, again, another, another, what I say identity capital is like all the, in a few of the courses I've done at university, I've had the opportunity to study abroad. Um, and I took those opportunities. They were there for everybody, but I, of my friends, I was the only one who took it. But then for me, it just broadened my horizons in terms of people I met. And this is very early on. I mean, I was in uni between ages 18 and 20. Um, and I got to meet people like all over the world sort of thing and in different contexts, not just in the UK, but also in Malaysia. And then mm. um, later on in Brazil, you know, these are things that um, they're there, but if, only if you decide to take up that opportunity. But then once I've taken it up, I've realized, oh my gosh, like the, the number of great friends I've met as a result of that, it's, it's just mind-blowing. I've met a lot of, even so Francophone friends, friends for example, mm. because I learned French, when I went to Brazil, I didn't know anybody, but then I overheard some guys speaking in, in French when I was in the canteen. I literally mm. went up to them, I was like, were you guys just speaking French? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, once, once I said, I was like, hi, <laughs> I'm new here, I'm your new friend. Mm. <laughs> you know? And Crazy. then I got to know these guys, they, they were really helpful to me whilst I was in Brazil. So yeah. Yeah. just open yeah. yourself up to opportunities. What's your story though? Tell me. Yeah, so, so, so for me, like, I, I wouldn't picture myself or describe myself as the very outgoing person in the sense that I'm not that extroverted. So although I'm in public spaces, I'm usually like, not on my own, but I would not see a group of people and walk up to them. But what I know how to do well is just like, is immerse myself into new experiences that involve activities. So if it's dancing, mm. if it's acting, if it's anything, like I remember I was in school this one time and um, it was kind of like late at night, midnight, and there was this, I just heard a lot of music coming from the cafeteria. Mm. So apparently there was like another fellowship doing some rehearsals and things like that. And I'd always been involved in stuff like that in church growing up. And so I just mm. went in there, sat down and watched a bit. And, you know, I kind of like, I was watching the dance guys and I kind of like picked up what they were doing. And I just started to, mm. I just asked them if I could join them. Right. So not like if it was a conversation that was happening, I probably wouldn't have done that, but it was something that mm -hmm. I could relate with like dancing. So I started dancing with them, conversation happened. And then I didn't end up joining that fellowship, but that led me to seek out similar experiences. And I ended up joining another fellowship that, you know, was, was kind of like similar, but only because I was exposed to this initial one. Another, another mm -hmm. one that was a lot, a bit different was, so, okay. I studied civil engineering in school, right? Okay. You know the mm -hmm. story, but I studied civil engineering, but Towards the like the end of my uh, fifth year in in school, I sort of mm. realized that I didn't want to build a career in that direction. And now that I think about it and try to put it into words, I think it was because I I saw that space as really limiting in the sense that I would be centered and you know around the same people, you know, mm. for for a long time. Like I was looking at all the engineers that were there for 15, 20 years experiences, and they just seemed like this monolith that I didn't want to be a part of. And I think mm. it's because growing up and just early in, like just my early adult years, I was always involved in so many different things. Like in church, I was in a dance group, but I also joined the drama team. And, you know, that really exposed, so I could speak like multiple languages for the lack of a better way mm. to put it. So I'm in mm. the middle of, funny enough, in my group of three friends in church as well, um, one of them used to dance. The other one used to rap. 
but I was the one that could do both, right? Sort of. So I could speak both languages and I just enjoyed being able to be in different creative circles or just any circles re- regardless and being able to speak their language. And so because of that, I was like, civil engineering is definitely not going to do that for me. And I started yeah. to seek out other experiences. Now maybe to tie it to the professional story. So um, served NYC, which is this national youth service thing that we do in Nigeria. Um, towards the end of my, so, so I was going to serve well, I got reposted to Ogun State and I got put in this university. And ideally, I was supposed mm. to join the facility management team as a civil engineer. But um, the only opportunity that was available was within HR. Now, the idea was, okay, just get a foot in through HR and then, you know, move to facility uh, management. But then I got into HR and the woman was like, you know, I can only put you here. There's nowhere else. So you either say yes to this or you go away. Now, other mm. people that were engineers, like, I'm sure if I pushed a bit harder, I would have gotten a chance to like join the facility team. But I was like, yeah, you know, to be fair, I didn't say yes because I thought, oh, this human resource experience is going to make sense in future for me. It was mm-hmm. just, it was just the fact that I was open to a new experience and I, I was like in one year, this will be over. So it's just a small time at the end of the day. So I joined the HR team and, you know, and now I'm doing something related to recruitment. Um, and I, I draw on some of the experiences of understanding what it is to manage like a, like a human resource team managing like 700 yeah. plus staff members. And even though I'm not managing up to that speed, I can relate to a lot of things. The, how, and that's not even technically how I got into recruitment because I was in charge of operations at uh, my f- previous company. But during one of their recruitment drives, um, hmm. team looked like they needed support and I decided to hang around. And I sort of like, you know, watch what they were doing. Um, I just, you know, did the running around for them. I wasn't actually part of the recruitment, but when they were discussing about all the people they had interviewed, because I sat in on them, um, once in a while, they asked my opinion and I'll be like, oh, and this because I was paying attention to the interviews, I'll be able to say something. Mm. And then six or seven months down the line, you know, the person I was leading the position had to leave. And uh, when they looked within the company to bring someone in, you know, someone remembered that I was sitting in the room that day and they were like, oh yeah, let's, let's ask her to do it. And, you know, I ended up doing really well in the role for two years, you know, and, you know, that really led me to the company that I've started now, which is kind of like take drawing on my recruitment experience and my being able to speak both like business and tech. So funny enough, as I've said all this story, you can just see how, you know, some of the experiences you open yourself up to, you can't really predict how much it would make an impact further down the line. But as long as they're quality experience, and nobody's saying you should do like very, very random things everywhere. But, you know, you you can tell when an opportunity itself has some potential. But even if you can't really say what the potential is, um, just opening yourself up to new opportunities is one thing that has worked really well for me. Um, yeah, like... I can go on and on, to be honest, but, but let, let, let me hear from you. I was, I was going to say as well, like, I think the principle is try and get as many diverse experiences as, as is manageable or mm-hmm. as is possible. You don't know which one will stick, but just the, the act of actually opening yourself to many experiences and many different experiences, it, mm-hmm. it, gives, it gives a wider surface area for, for something, to, something to stick, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's always about trying, trying things. And it's only, and you will only be able to connect the dots in hindsight. True. Like you could not have, known, <laughs> you studied civil engineering. You could not have known you would have had to use your um, HR skills that you got during your NYSC somewhere mm. else in the future. You just mm. thought, okay, it's an opportunity. Something's happened. Okay, fine. Let's roll with it. Mm. Um, but all of these things, they, they, they make sense in hindsight, but then because you can't predict it, the only thing you can do to help yourself is just make sure there's a wide surface area. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And it kind of connects to to one of the what I call is a mantra that I that I hold up to, which is whatever your hands find to do, do it well. Uh, mm-hmm. because you don't, ex- again, also because you don't know how it connects to any other thing. You know, sometimes you're pretty clear how something you're doing connects, but even when you're not sure, it doesn't mean you should half arse the effort is, is mm-hmm. how I like to look at things. Um, but yeah, okay, we can go on and on about this career. Before, before, you, before we yeah. go though, there's one thing I wanted to mention. So mm-hmm. um, if you look, I think I read this somewhere and we'd have to find the quote for this, but apparently like of the top performers in different industries and even Nobel laureates, they found that majority of them had other interests beyond beyond the thing that they got the um, the award for. True, 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 true. Now, what that like even just just the experience of having other things that you're involved with or other things you've tasted, you can actually bring that into your your main thing and then either innovate there or just because you're such a varied person, it, it kind of play. I, I'm I'm struggling to find the words to to articulate this, but basically. Having that varied experience also even helps for the the main thing you decide to focus on. Yeah, that's true. I think Elon Musk is kind of like the most popular example of that, exactly. right? You exactly. know, he's kind of like jumped into many different industries and, you know, kind of like risen to the top there. And what really helps is because you have varied experiences, you're able to think, literally think outside the box because you're not coming at it from a traditional point of view. And, you know, that mm-hmm. in itself is quite, it's quite useful. So, uh, but like I said, you know, we can go on and on about this <laughs> part of things, but let's, let's move quickly, like into a very, very like opposite end of things in one way, which is this idea of like relationships and marriage. Right. Mm. So, um, when, when it comes to marriage, and I don't think we've mentioned the name of the book, but it's called The Defining Decade by Meg Jay. So I'll put the link and everything else in the description. Uh, I just remember that I said the book, but I didn't say the title of the book earlier on. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so this idea of, of of marriage, right? So I've always been very deliberate about relationships and things like that. Um, and mm-hmm. so reading that section of the book about how, you know, it, you know a lot of people realize so obviously maybe they want to use their twenties to explore and all of those things. And they set a limit of, okay, when I'm 30 or when I reach a certain age, I will start mm-hmm. to consider and look for long-term relationships. But you know, that age comes at you pretty quickly. And one day you're 29, the next day you're 30 and you then feel, start to feel like time is against you. So, you know, but also it doesn't mean that if you delay marrying too late, um, doesn't mean it's going to be a better experience because another, the other angle of it is that, um, once you're more set in your ways, it's kind of harder to bring someone else into that space, um, and start to grow together. So early relationships have a benefit of both people are still being molded at that stage. And so they can actually grow together. Um, but obviously there's also the idea of immaturity and, you know, when you pick someone to be with early on, you might not be using the right, not using the right, but you're not considering everything in order or you're just, you're going on feelings and things like that. And so that can lead to problems later on. Essentially, it sounds like with whichever side you're on, (laughs) there's not, there's, there's not like a system for you to like succeed. It's more like just be deliberate and be considered about everything you're doing because either late or early, there's sort of like different parts to play. I've sort of like summarized a lot of things in a very weird short sentence. But from your own perspective, like what sort of stood out for you in that section of sort of like marriage, marrying late, marrying early and just being considered and deliberate about um, choosing a partner? Definitely. So a few a few things that came out from that was um, one major thing is to look at having a shared life vision, like how you see life, how you see the world and stuff, because at the end of the day, even within marriage, you're going to change. Mm. And that's because just as time goes on, you 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 experience many different things. And so 
like you inherently you'll change some things that you held fast to in your younger years. You might be like, actually, maybe I don't believe in them as much anymore or vice versa. Things that you didn't, you didn't actually stand with. You now realize, okay, you know what, in the years going forward, maybe, maybe before you were more the explorer. And then you, as you grow older, you become more structured, more, okay, let's, let's find some like rigid ways, not rigid, but, um, disciplined ways of doing things, you know, mm-hmm. so people change, but the, the, the important thing is to have similar life, life vision in a sense, like what makes a good life? Mm. What, what is the kind of life you, you want to pursue together and then follow, um, follow along, like find somebody who kind of matches that. Yeah. So going yeah. beyond the aesthetics, if this person earns a lot of money or this person um, looks good or that sort of thing, like is there's more, there's more to it. I mean, there's also things like um, religion as well. So mm, mm. it might not be a problem when you're young and dating, but then what happens when the kids come? Do they go <laughs> with yours or your partners? Does mm. that cause friction? Mm. You know. Um, but yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting one. Um, definitely being deliberate, I think, is good. Um, mm. The other side to it as well about waiting or, or like spending your twenties, not necessarily committing, and then going into your thirties and wanting to commit is that you might get to the point where you just, you realize, oh my gosh, I'm 30. I've got to find someone. And you find the, the nearest person as opposed to the person that's most ideal for you. You mm-hmm. just kind of mm-hmm. get to the point where you're just, you're just under pressure. Just like, okay, yeah. um, I need to find somebody. Whereas if you'd maybe been a bit more deliberate and you, you, um, if you've been a bit more deliberate, you could have found somebody who was um, maybe more like in line with you in terms of what you're, th- what you're thinking vision wise, long-term, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, a <laughs> it's it, it is it is it is, and so for me, I think naturally, and I think this is the thing about self awareness as well, just knowing where you are on on any sort of like spectrum or level, and you know, making sure you're as much as possible creating um bound not boundaries but just observing what your blind sides are and trying to make sure they're not too blind <laughs> that's the only way i can think of of putting this because someone like me is so, so I, i'm naturally like more considered about a lot of things and so um what 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 that means is maybe in the long term in some aspects it's good but maybe early on it, it can present issues because i don't allow myself experience too many things because if i can't figure out how it fits into this broader picture i don't even want to pursue it and um although on one hand that sounds like okay you're giving yourself less trouble but i think it's also limiting how much options are available to you later on and i guess maybe i can then connect this to this idea of weak ties Mm. which is something the book mentioned that honestly again i can draw on so many stories about that (laughs) and so um I think because maybe you reviewed the book more recently than I did, even though I was on that mentioned this conversation, maybe just quickly, um, you know, explain what weak ties are. Um, and then maybe I'll just share a story and then share a story as well. Sure. So when it comes to weak ties, it's basically, so we, we've got people where we're really cool with, right? People, we generally have, tend to have things that we have in common. So it might be, maybe we do the same sports. We have a similar background. We grew up in the same area, went to the same primary school. Um, you know, and things that make us similar to a lot of people around us. Mm. Whereas if you think about it, though, if you're very similar to the people around you, chances are the opportunities that are available to them are also things that you probably have, have, have available to you as well. Whereas if you're looking for, for um, experiences or things that let you kind of leap forward and maybe take a left, um, even though you're going on a particular way, but actually a left as in, or take a left or maybe a right in this case. Mm. Um, and and want to go even further or, or try new things, 
those connections, the connections that would get you there are not likely to be the people who are closest to you. Mm. It's more likely it might be a chance, a chance conversation or maybe a friend of a friend of a friend or somebody's uncle's uh, best friend or something <laughs> like that, yeah. you know, um, yeah. but then it's, it's those weak ties. So the ties there are talking about the, the strength of the relationship. Mm. Um, so it's those weak ties that can actually get you opportunities that you never expected. Mm. And then this can segue into an example I'll give. So um, at work, for example, um, I've met, I've met a lot of very interesting people, which I'm very grateful for. And people in my team, I was very cool with. But in terms of knowing what the next step would be career-wise, it wasn't, they weren't the ones who were necessarily able to help me navigate that even within the company. I mean, I'm, mm. I might hear a few things, understand how they got to where they were, but not necessarily um, getting me to the next level. And even, even then at this le- level, like they're, they're not strong ties as in like, I'm not, I, I wasn't as close to those colleagues, but I was closer to them than random other mm. colleagues in the building or random people on the street. However, um, there was one, there was one, um, I don't know whether it was a Monday or Tuesday afternoon where I just didn't feel like working from my desk. And we had this open desk, um, is it open desk policy they call, mm-hmm. call it? I can't remember where, where basically you don't have a fixed desk. desk. So sometimes I used to work from the canteen. And yeah. Then one day I overheard um, some, some guys speaking in Yoruba, which is another language I speak. And I was just like, oh my gosh, there's another <laughs> person that speaks. Another people, another group of people that speak here about here. I thought that's, that was quite interesting. And then I tossed it within myself. Should I go say hi or should I not? Would it look like I was like eavesdropping? eavesdropping. Or... <laughs> but I didn't, you know what? Forget it. Let's just go. Let's just go and say hi. Worst case scenario, it would just be like, hi. Um, just wanted to say hi. I overheard you guys. And yeah, just hi. And then say, have a good afternoon. <laughs> and walk away. Yeah. You know? um, but I went to say hi to them. I got speaking with them. And they were, they were really glad I actually came, came forward to speak to them and said they hadn't seen each other in a while. Although they work in the same team, they worked on different days, so they didn't see each other. But anyway, just got talking. They asked what I did, you know, and I, I asked them what they did and thought, okay, that was, it was a really nice conversation. And I went back to my work. Then later in the evening, like just as I was, I was leaving work or just before, I got a, an, a message from one of them saying, oh, um, remind me again what your skills are and like what your background is. I told, I told him, and I just thought we're just continuing the conversation. He's, he's like, actually, there's a role I'm hiring for and you just might be the perfect fit. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> you know? And um, anyway, I got talking with him. Long story short, I actually ended up taking the job and it exposed me to a completely, like if my career had like a straight trajectory, it just took me left. Mm. But mm. right in this case, because it, it was a good kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it was something I could never have thought of, never have, I would never have considered like it was going from data analysis to information security. Mm. For me, mm. that was never on, on my radar, but I'm really grateful for that experience because it just opened my eyes to a lot of things that yeah. I just would not have been conscious of, even though I dealt with data. Mm. Um, information security, obviously you're dealing with information, data that gets passed through the company, but other things as well. And it just opened my eyes to a lot of things that had I not taken that step to just go and say hello, mm. <laughs> that would mm. never have happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the, absolutely. Like the, again, that was such a weak tie. I literally just <laughs> met them that day. But then the people in my group, like I said, in the team I worked with, although they were great, they couldn't have given me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. being able to be open to opportunities, again, back to that identity capital thing, mm-hmm. it does help. Um, but then I guess if, just to kind of push back on the relationship that um, bit, it's a bit hard though. Like it feels like with <laughs> other things, a bit more distance, but relationship, like that's somebody who comes in your personal space. Mm. So the question is like, how far, it's too how, far. 
how far is too far? How much of a weak tie can you um, can you support? Can you? Uh, I, I'm struggling to find the right word now. Can you manage? Mm. You know, um, mm. I wonder. I think I'm I'm quite similar to you, like um, in that in the relationship aspect. Where, yes, I'm. I can be friends with many people, diverse people, but to be in a relationship with someone, mm. uh, it takes a lot. And yeah, yeah, so yeah, I've exactly. a lot more. <laughs> Exactly. I think I've just, I, I've decided for the relationship one, like I'm not even going to fight it too much. Like I'm aware of the fact that I might be a bit maybe too straight, not, but just too structured or too one direction for that one. And I guess it's just coming to terms with that and being okay with it and in, in a way, <laughs> because again, like the, the alternative doesn't seem as appealing to me in, in that sense. But I think what I've also done is, um, I think I've, I lower the threshold a bit when it comes to just conversation. Because before, even with conversation, if I don't see five or six steps ahead of a connection with this person, I don't even do the small talk, <laughs> right? Um, but wow. I, I've kind of like dropped the barrier a bit and, you know, just basic knowledge about the person and all of these things so that when I see you on the street and I say hello, there's maybe two or five minutes of conversation that we can have beyond the, the hello. And it's it's been quite interesting because, you know, it's definitely exposed me to a lot more and you might find yourself having a conversation far removed and then you actually join on experiences that you had from maybe meeting someone that is in that space like just some very random like mm-hmm. to, like today right um so I ha- i'm on this um thing that i shared with you launch club so i had it's and for anyone who doesn't know it's it's like i won't call it a social it's a networking um platform that randomly connects you or uses ai they say to connect you with people with similar interests but across the world and so today i had a conversation with someone and she was telling me about how she was working on on ai um plus using AI to write content and marketing and things like that. I just remembered randomly that I'd spoken or seen something somewhere about something called GP3, which is like this new, um, I don't know even know what it is particularly, but I know it was used, I saw that word in context yeah. of AI and content marketing. So I mentioned it that, oh, like, is that like GP3? And you could see the shock on this person's face because they're like, <laughs> she's like, never would, would she have imagined that I knew what GP3 was like, you know, she wasn't just expecting that from the conversation that we're having. And that that just kind of like directed our conversation in a different aspect. Later found out that she also has experience in recruiting, but from a different aspect. Like she came from from the academia. She was a lecturer, um, you know, did a PhD 15 years and decided to take, uh, just move away from all of that. And the first place she landed in was recruitment. And so we just had more like shared stuff than you would assume on the surface in that sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, even the job that I got that has been sort of like my best experience so far before I left, it came from like a weak tie. And the weak tie came from me joining a company that on a normal day I wouldn't have joined, but because, um, of my civil engineering background. It was a startup, but they found my civil engineering background quite interesting. Um, and so I got the job. But when I got in, they put me in a different department. And then one day I was randomly in the office. This volunteer came in from a consulting company, needed help with some business analysis documents and things like that. And that was kind of that was not my business to be doing. But I found it interesting. I was like, oh yeah, I could help. And I did that. He gave me the next one. I did it. And then he left. That was the end of it. And then two months later, he calls me. He's like, oh, are you thinking of like moving somewhere else? I enjoyed working with you. And I think you might be a good fit for this role. And then I ended up meeting the manager that was his friend. And then I got the job um, that was very different from what I was doing before. And then there, that led to the whole recruitment thing. And so it's just been a, a story of weak, tie become, weak ties becoming relatively stronger ties and then leading to opportunities. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, um, maybe let's, but anyways, th- that's the idea of weak ties basically. And like you said, I've got a, per- a question. Yeah. Okay, cool. Go for it. And 
asking on behalf of the listener who's like, okay, yes, I need weak ties, but where do I find them? Ah, uh, um, I think they find you. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I think it's about the the kind of spaces they are in because th- this is the other part of it. It's like I think it's one of those things where if you're too if you're too deliberate, quote unquote, about it, if you're always on the lookout of, you know, making weak ties and all of these things, I think you generally come off as insincere and, you know, people just naturally, it's not like they deliberately don't want to help you, but, you know, it doesn't just come out naturally. So I think it's, it's really, it starts from who you are as a person. Like, what do you enjoy and how do you put yourself out there? And why do you put yourself out there? Are you generally curious about learning new things? And I think naturally we're all attracted to curious people. And sometimes you see someone that's really curious and really interesting and peculiar. And you just want to be a part of their story somehow, which is why when an opportunity comes up, if you remember this peculiar person you met somewhere, you don't necessarily remember people that bug you all the time and be like, oh yes, um, here's my card, let's network, let's go do this. Like, you know, if you come off as too salesy, I don't think it works out. Maybe I'm speaking from a personal perspective, but I think I remember people that you more have like maybe just random things in common with, but genuinely um, you sense that, you know, you enjoy talking to this person and, you know, it's, it was a good conversation. It could be like, again, a five minute conversation. Like thinking about the example you gave, it was, I guess, it's not like the person, I don't know, it was more like the person remembered the good feeling of talking to you, speaking Yoruba and all of those things, and then decided, oh, okay, that's one part of this person that I already know, what other parts of this person exist, and then asking you about your background and things like that, and then it ends up, it ends up fitting what they're about to recruit for. So I think, you know, weak ties start from really just that point of shared, I don't know, connection or history, and then it can build into something else, but not always, and that's fine. I think, I think for me, you mentioned one key point there, putting yourself out there again, which kind of links back to the identity capital, Mm. right? Being able to say, you know what, just try things. Like I had the, I had the decision to make at that point. Do I go say hello? Or do I just say, oh, it was nice to hear people speak Yoruba and leave it at that, Mm. you know, but Mm. actually putting yourself out there a little bit. Um, I know people, networking does get a bad rap sometimes because people are like, oh, people are just going there to see what they can get sort of thing. Mm. Whereas you might just be, you might just let yourself go to these events and whether it's events or different things, put yourself out there a little bit, even if you're an introvert, just to, ex- again, increase your surface area. Because once you increase your surface area, people you meet and from diverse walks of life, you never know. Things mm-hmm. can come up. But if you don't actually put yourself out there or put yourself in situations where you might just even not necessarily meet like completely new people, even interact with people, mm-hmm. um, I think it lessens your chances of weak ties. Yeah. But you don't necessarily go after it and think, okay, you know, I don't know this person, therefore, they're weak tied, therefore, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's something that, that will come out of this. Of Not, this. Mm. Uh, but you just, you put yourself out there and have different experiences, open yourself to different experiences. Um, mm. And in so doing, build your identity capital such that you never know, um, things can actually, like you can then meet people who end up being those weak ties that lead you on to other experiences. Absolutely. The key yeah. point you mentioned there was putting yourself out there mm. um, sometimes. Mm. And, or in situations where you're likely to meet people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so maybe on the, maybe this is one of the last few things we'll talk about uh, when it comes to the book is um, this idea of, of making and practicing making difficult decisions. Um, oh, yeah. and, and maybe I'll connect this to one story that I remember from the book. I don't know if it was on this same idea of difficult decisions, but it's kind of like when you're, when you're young or early on in your career, like everything seems weighty. Like everything carries this, this form of weight that, you know, you, 
like you, you feel like everything is a do or die affair. Like, okay, you're working on this report. It's, you know, the deadline is close and you just feel like there's this weight on you. But then there's something about how someone who's older and more experienced treats that same situation because of, I guess, the context that they have. Um, I know it's not really connected to the decision making, but that's one thing I remember from the book where it just let me know that, okay, I need to like step back away from certain things sometimes um, once it starts to feel intense. Because if you make a decision in that moment or you make sort of like a forward motion in that moment where you're feeling very tension and pressured and things like that, you know, it might not necessarily be the best decision. But also like some, some things that we like add a lot of tension to or feel very tense for us. You know, sometimes it's about sharing that with someone else to, to see from a different perspective. I, I, honestly, this feels like common knowledge, but it's funny how things that are common knowledge disappear when we're in, mid, in the middle of, of very interesting <laughs> oh situations, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, I just remember that, the fact that, you know, early on in your career, a lot of things can feel like they're do or die, but mm. in the grand scheme of things, to be honest, they're not really. And so maybe being comfortable with making mistakes as long as you're learning from them um, is another thing I'll say. But uh, maybe you can maybe talk about what the difficult decision part is because I know you you were like, hmm, when I said it. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. I've got a story for you. Um, so practice, I, I struggle sometimes with, with um, being decisive. I think I've, I've become better over the years, hmm. but again, it's, it's out of practice. Um, I, I, cause Again, I, I'm I'm a thinker, right? I, I process things a lot. I when people when something happens, I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me just think about it for a sec. You know, mm -hmm. and so I take a lot of things in and I keep thinking and thinking. And sometimes, you know, I, I you almost think yourself into into crisis. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be this is gonna be bad. Da, 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 da. But actually, <laughs> things may not necessarily be. Uh, the example I can think of was um, a few years ago. I was working somewhere in data, um, so I gotten into data analysis. I kind of stumbled into it, but realized this is something I'm really good at and something I want to focus on for the next few years at least. And, you know, I was working at a particular company. I got into a point where I felt, you know what, I'd, I'd maximized what I could get from that role. I think I'd been there for maybe 18, I mean, it doesn't sound very long, maybe 18 months <laughs> max, I think. But I, I was starting to get that itchy feeling that, okay, look, I need to be looking for the next phase. And I wasn't going to get it from the role where I was at that point in time. Mm. And um, some opportunities came. So I interviewed for another role within the same company, but it's going to be using different, different tools, similar skill set, but different tools and stuff, which I wasn't very interested in at that point in learning further. And then another opportunity came out outside, which was a contract role. Um, so contract being a fixed amount of time. So after the fixed, <laughs> fixed contract, like that's it, you no longer have a job. And this role. But then I spoke to someone and someone was like, you want to leave a permanent job for something that is temporary. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. That was somebody who was, who was in a salary position. Mm. But then I was very fortunate to speak to somebody who was in a, who had been a contractor. I spoke to two people who had been contractors. One person had done it for 18 years. The other had done it for six years. Mm. Um, what one of them told me was like, see, and this, this helped remove the weight of it because I, I kept going back and forth. Should I, should I know? I need to give them a, a decision. I wasn't sure. I did delay tactics to, to try and delay giving a decision. And what the person told me was, look, try contracting. If it doesn't work, you can always find another permanent job. Mm. But try, like, you, you don't know if contracting could actually be something that you really enjoy. And for me, the benefit of contracting was being able to be a bit more flexible. So between contracts, I could have time off to do whatever I want. So like work mm. hard, play hard kind of thing. Mm. Plus, at least in the UK, um, 
contracting, depending on the industry you're in, can actually pay a lot more than if you were um, full-time staff. It's just that mm. you, you lose some of the benefits, but I think it you do does get made up for in how much more you earn. Mm. So, you know, but it was just like, oh, that uncertainty thing. But then I'd had some, I would say, a turbulent start to my career such that I, I didn't feel um, too wedded to any role anymore. So such that I was just like, look, the last job, like one of the jobs I had, like I thought it was going to be permanent. It didn't end up being permanent. I ended up having to leave. Mm. what's another what's another, <laughs> what's another yeah <laughs> what's another non, non-permanent situation <laughs> and uh, once I had that clarity I went for it and you know what that was probably one of the best decisions I ever made mm. career-wise because not only did I was I able to earn more uh, in a shorter period of time I got into a company where I just met people from diverse backgrounds like if you're so, if we're talking weak ties I had women <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. different, varied experiences, mm. um, you know. But then sometimes that clarity, in terms of making decisions, can come from speaking to people who've been there before, who can then say, okay, you know, from the other side, this is how I see it mm. um, on that side, and I can advise you to actually, you know, what maybe it's a good decision to make, or maybe, oh, I did that, I regretted it, maybe don't do it. You mm. know, so getting some getting some information that way, I think more information you have, it can help um, sometimes if you're getting information from from good sources, by the way, mm. but. Mm. Um, Having that can help. But then also realizing that, look, nothing is permanent. <laughs> if you make mistakes, it's okay. You can, you can re-strategize. Like yeah. the person said, if you don't like it, you will find another permanent job. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm, it's mm. not the end of the world, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But when you're young and you've only experienced so much, you're just like, ah, no, what if, what if my, this might be the step that, you know, yeah, derails yeah. me? Yeah. Like how far really can, <laughs> can it yeah, really? Yeah, really, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so just not 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 being too precious on things and not being too afraid to take some risks mm. would actually put you in good stead, like um, in future. But now that's calculated risk, right? Mm. Not just that you just say, go "Yeah, I'm just gonna just yeah. let everything yeah. go." Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes yeah. you do have to do yeah. that. But there's another ex- example I wanted to give, but I'm conscious of time. Yeah, so you can tell me whether to give that example or no. Whether... Please, absolutely, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, so I've been talking about career changes. I made a big one this year. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. about this. I yeah. quit. I quit my job. Mm. Um, this beautiful job that I had that came from a weak tie and I thought was fantastic. Mm. I left. Now you might say, "Oh, but <clears throat> maybe I should have stayed in my previous role." No, no. Yeah. I. So yeah. you could have said, "Oh, maybe I should have stayed in the previous role." You know, like I moved into this role and then I ended up leaving. No, I think it was part of the journey. Sometimes some some parts of the journey or what may seem like detours may be short or long, but mm. they're all part of the journey. And I definitely do not regret it. I met some really great people and it was a fantastic learning experience for me. Mm. Having said that, I had to move on because I think for the longest time I've been itching, this entrepreneurial thing had been itching me all over my body. I was just like, <laughs> I, I need to go out there and do this. I got a taste of it when I was contracting because as a contractor, I had to open a business and the company was interacting with me as yeah. a business, not just as Ore. Mm. But so I got a, bit, a taste of it and I thought, ooh, I like, I like the autonomy that came with it. I enjoyed that. But even before that, I'd always thought, you know what, I want to run a startup. I mm. want to start something up, you know, and just create something from nothing, go from zero to one. Um, and I'd been pushing, pushing this aside, you know, kicking the can down the road. And then at some point I just woke up and I was like, you know what, no, I need to leave this place before my next birthday. Mm. Um, and I've been thinking about it. You and I had had conversations about this many times back and forth, <laughs> you know. And then at some point, I was just like, you know what? No, like, why am I staying? Mm. Yes, the, the 
career trajectory here could be good, it could be okay, but when you know that it's not where you're meant to be, is it worth climbing up a tree faster if <laughs> if it's not the right tree? Going up the wrong tree, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so at that point, like, it was a very weighty decision for me. Very, very weighty. And from the conversations we had, many, like, it, it, was, it took over, many, it took many months. Many months. But then, yeah. now being on the other side, I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. Like, you have no idea. I'm so happy. <laughs> Um, I'm, so I've gone into voiceovers now and to create voiceovers for different applications and stuff, but it's given me more time to, um, to explore and explore the things I'm interested in. Besides the voiceovers, I've also done more YouTube. I'm exploring creating online courses. I feel like I'm now living the, or I'm now the me that I, I was itching to be, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. But again, mm. It, it came from a weighty decision and that particular decision took me months. The other decision about contracting, I had to make in like a week. Yeah. Um, but this one, like it took me months of contemplating and deliberating and going back and forth. And at some point I was just like, no, you know what? I wanted to, I want to say that within, before I hit the next birthday, I, need to, I did this. Yeah. And so once I, once I realized that and I made a decision, I literally um, called my boss up one morning <laughs> and told him we did the usual business stuff. And it's like, oh, anything else? I was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great, but you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, we, it, I made a similar deci- decision um, recently as well. And, you know, I think the final conversation I had before I did it was with you, <laughs> funny enough, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it was also in the context of this book and everything. And I think also like the kind of society we grew up in and all of these spaces tend to make like taking risks and moving away from certainty. Um, you know, they make it hard to make, right? You know, if you have this well-paying job and all these things and, you know, you want to move to something else where there's less certainty. Beyond the idea of it being uncertain, being a pressure, I think around you as well, nobody's really seen it like that. Everybody's just wondering what's wrong with you. Like, is this a quarter-life crisis and things like that? And and you know, those are very, very good points to consider. But I think one thing I was going to mention as we sort of like try to wrap up is this idea of isolating um, sort of like the different pressure points or the different like reasons why you're afraid of something or why something is feeling weighty. Um, and then just, like you said, calculating as much as you can um, to understand the risk that you're about to take. Because the truth of the matter is, even like you said, even where you are <laughs> is risky. Like, yes, it feels permanent. Like you have a contract, but we all know what can happen at the snap of a finger. Like something could change. Like I have a friend that, you know, moved into a role, very exciting role. They were super excited about it. And in three months, the company decided to change direction and cut down the staff of 150 to 70. Right. And, you know, apparently their role became redundant. So, you know, these things can happen. And I think one thing I've I've seen from running a business, you know, even though we're still small, but it's how things can quickly change. And so a lot of time when you think that you're, you know, you're you're settled where you are, it's like, can you really identify what's making you feel settled? And then when you discover that the thing that's making you feel settled can actually change, maybe that can make the decision you're about to make less weighty. But also is this idea of time, right? Everything always feels like it's passing us by quickly. But one thing that has sort of like helped me sort of like balance out what time means is that when you're, if you're 20 years old, um, right. And you're thinking about a, a decision that you're supposed to make that would affect one year or like one year of your life when you're 20 year, years old is one over 20. And that, you know, feels a lot. Five years out of 20 years is basically a quarter of your life. 
But five years out of 30 starts to feel less intense. I know this is, a, is like a whole psychological trick, but it's because it's still the same passage of time. But it's just that compared to what you've already experienced, you know, the more time you spend on, on, on this earth, you know, God willing, the less one year starts to feel. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's like trying to think forward um, by saying, okay, this one year that feels like a lot now that I'm 25 or whatever age, like how much would this one year feel later on? And can I start living like that now? Because, you know, you might think that, oh, five years has passed and I've not done anything. Five years in the context of a long life, is, it's, not, it's not that big of, of yeah. a chunk of time. So I guess what I'm trying to talk about is this idea of time being wasted, right? And to be fair, I'm not trying to say that you can go and just spend all your life doing everything because you make up for it later on. But I think it's just this idea of balance, right? Like we're Christians, we know Jesus didn't start his ministry until 30 and he did everything he needed to do in the space of three years, right? Um, okay. There's more like, you know, stories I've heard of. I think my friend was telling me about how he was talking to this like, 45 year old guy and you know was telling this guy about like this 45 year old guy had cars had houses and not just the superficial things but he seemed like settled and he was sort of like the person this my friend was like th in his 30s and mid 30s and i was talking to this guy how you know it feels like he's wasted time and you know you know things are just not how he seems to be and this 45 year old guy was just relaxed i was like you know he let him he let this my friend vent and just talk about everything da 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 da, da. and he said it's like, you know what? It's like, you're still, you're still young, right? And my friend was looking at it like, what's this guy saying? But it's like, you know, this life that you see me, that I have now, honestly, it happened in the space of like five years. It wasn't until I was 40 that this happened. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the same thing that will happen for you, but you need to realize that a lot can happen in the space of two years, three years that you can't even account for, right? So, you know, the idea is just to make sure that you're not wasting your years. And wasting is a very, very, very loose term in the sense that you might, it might not feel like you're progressing as quickly, but are you building the right foundations? You know, what are you exposing yourself to? What do you know? Um, you know, what, I, I want to say this thing before about, you know, even if you're in a small space, the internet is a beautiful thing because it can expose you to a lot more than you're physically exposed to. And it almost still feels the same. Right. Mm. The kind of conversation I can have now is not because I've necessarily like been in spaces or been in places. It's really just the things that I've exposed myself to. And you just feel like a more rounded individual. I remember one of my former managers, um, you know, she was shocked because we were planning a trip to Ghana. And that was actually going to be my first time traveling out of Nigeria for the first time. And mm. when she heard that, she was like, what? Like, <laughs> you know, like if she would never have guessed. And I guess that's because, okay, I went to an international school, but I've just, I just tend to expose myself to a lot more. Um, so I guess that's what I just want to, you know, wrap all of this up with. And I'll, I'll, have, I'll let you have the final word as well. But it's in the sense that, you know, time is relative. Um, a lot can happen in one year and nothing can happen in one year as well. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, it's about being deliberate about the experiences you're choosing to have um, and how it fits into the picture that you can see so far, because a lot of things will only make sense in hindsight. Right. And so that should take off the pressure, you know, for some decisions you need to make. Um, and again, this is not saying you should go in blind without any data to support what it is you're trying to do. But sometimes, you know, there's only so much information you can have. You just have to take the leap. Um, and you know, have that faith that something will happen. We're Christians, right? And so there's also that faith side of things that really supports the decisions that we make that gives us grace and gives us, you know, favor in the spaces that we choose. But if you're not taking that step, if you're not building the ark, if you're not, you know, going towards the burning bush that you can see, right? It's hard for the next thing to happen because God is not going to 
give you more than he thinks you can handle, right? Um, but he's also going to try and guide you towards those next steps that you think you can't handle it, but you've actually taken a couple of steps forward that puts you in the right position to receive that that, that next phase of things. So yeah, that's that's where I'll, I'll, I'll say my final words. But yeah, any final words from you about, you know, the book, life, defining decade, growing old, all together, everything, <laughs> just your final thoughts. I think there's, there's a question I often ask myself. Mm. Would my 80-year-old self be mm. proud of the decisions and the steps I take right now? Mm. And whilst, you know, there's the whole YOLO, you know, um, <laughs> you have to think about, you have to think about that. Like if I, I plan on living as like God, God permitting, I plan mm. on living a long life, yeah. right? I just think the decisions that I make now, when I look back, would I be happy I took those decisions? Mm. And that has helped me. So I'm more on the risk averse side of things. Mm. So when, when I'm faced with a few decisions that like I have to make, which seem at the point in time, um, quite weighty, I ask myself, will my 80-year-old self be proud of me? Um, you know, would, I, would this be something I'd be proud to tell my grandchildren that I did? Mm. You know, so, sometimes that helps me put things in perspective and think, you know what? I'm going to take this chance. Mm. You know, I could have stayed where I was, the company I was working at, and they were, it was a brilliant company. I love the people I worked with there. Or I could take this chance at the unknown, try it out and see. Mm. Like the, yes, potential downside is maybe it doesn't work out and I have to go back into full-time employment because I need to make money to survive. Mm. Fine. But the potential upside could be massive. Absolutely. So sometimes I just think about that. Like, would my 80-year-old self be happy? And 80-year-old 80 80 represents looking at your life um, almost like hindsight, but obviously you're not 80 yet, so you can't tell. Mm. Uh, um, would, would I be proud of the decisions that I've made when I look overall at the things that I've done? Mm. And when I think about that, that kind of gives me some motivation to just go ahead and try some things and do some things. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. in life, yeah. you've got to take, take some chances. And what could be waiting for you on the other side could be fantastic if only you give yourself the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's definitely a very good place to, to, to tie this up with. And I think it's very powerful, this idea of, you know, it's one thing that we, ha we can do as human beings. It's one of the abilities we have to sort of like, you know, put ourselves imagine. in the future, imagine and then look back. It's a very powerful, you know, concept that I don't think, you know, particularly in the cultures that we grew up in, it's not something that is really like celebrated or encouraged in that sense. But if you can find a way to, you know, inculcate that skill of being able to Put yourself in the future, look back now and, you know, see how you might feel about certain decisions. I think, honestly, that has driven me to do certain things as well. Even this thing we're talking about, about me leaving my job as well. Mm. It was also the thing about, you know, not even 80 year old self, but like my 40 year old self. Like, would I, if I look back at me staying where I was before, um, would my 40 year old self be proud of the fact that I stayed because like the reasons I was staying, that I was very sure of, would my 40-year-old self also believe in those reasons and be proud of those reasons? Or my 40-year-old would be like, yeah, that, I don't think that was strong enough, right, for a reason to stay. And honestly, I'm pointing to this idea of money. I think a lot of times, and again, it's, it's, it's you know, we live in this world where money is important and you need money to, to have certain things. But I think sometimes we give it too much weight when it comes to decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one good skill that we can try and practice and learn is how to to attach value um, to certain things that don't necessarily come with monetary value to it, right? Mm -hmm. I think being able to actually do that would help certain decisions feel a lot easier because, again, I I'm reading this book now called um, Thinking Fast and Slow. 
uh, mm. by by Dan Kahan or something. But it's this idea of you know there are two sides of our brain or decision making. One you know does things by intuition based on experiences we've had, and one is a bit more measured, right? Mm. But the one that is a bit more measured, we get quite lazy sometimes to use it to consider things. Um, and so we just go off the top. Like a typical example is that you want to vote for a politician, but you look, you know, do you like the way he feels when you're looking at this person? Does a person look like a politician? But it's like, what does a politician look like? <laughs> right. And so, you know, you're not exactly, you don't really care about the policies and things like that. Um, you say you do, but when you think about what you're voting for and how you vote, you realize, you know, you've probably based this on this feeling of, like this familiarity feeling that you've built up, mm. right? And so the idea of, or the main concept of the book is there's some situations that require you to think fast, but a lot of times the really big decisions and things that will cause you to, you know, make significant changes, you need to slow down a bit and allow that part of your brain that considers things more, you know, statistically and, you know, in a more quantitative manner, allow those to make certain kinds of decisions. And I think this idea of big decisions and hard decisions about also just slowing down and, you know, realizing that, although it might feel difficult to really think through your decision or make a decision in, in one direction, um, mm. it, it's important to take that time to really like slow down is what I would say. Um, yeah. But anyways, the book is amazing. It's called The Defining Decade by Meg Jay. Um, I really love it. And it's a book that I go back to um, quite, quite often. There's a lot we didn't cover as well. Um, but you know, if you can find the book, I'll try and link to, to it on, on Amazon or whatnot. But if you reach out directly to me, I think I can tell you where to find it as well. Just don't want to say it online here <laughs> this way, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for doing this last minute. Really appreciate, um, you coming on and, and thank you for the support with the podcast as well. I think you always tell me the episodes you listen to that, you know, really speak to you. So, um, um th- thank you for, thank you for that. Hey there, thanks for listening to this off-season episode of The Yellow Pill. We're still on a break, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with new and fresh and exciting content. But before then, make sure to follow us on Instagram at The Yellow Pill Pod and on Twitter, yellowpill underscore pod to keep up to date with everything else we're putting up until we come back. Hope you're enjoying the holidays. We wish you all the love, joy, comfort, peace, gladness and all the good tidings. See you next week.